This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thank you for downloading the OUinsider.com podcast. I'm RJ Young. I'm joined by Colin Kennedy and we are going to run down what's left to run down about how the, well seriously, about how COVID-19, aka the coronavirus, has really quarantined the entirety of sports to say nothing of OU football. Before we even got done or got started recording this, the OU media relations reached out to everyone to say, hey, we're canceling availability, which is when we usually walk into the Red Room to do interviews with coaches and players. Obviously, that's not happening today. Probably put on hold for at least two weeks. Spring football, I would assume, is going to get suspended if not indefinitely suspended and I think that this might actually affect the spring game and to talk about all of these things including how recruiting has also come to a stop I'm bringing in Colin Colin my first question for you is uh how do you react to the news that well we're all basically being quarantined and the sporting world has come to a complete stop well I mean this this kind of sucks right to right. be blunt I mean I'm just not happy about it look Okay, first I'll say this. I, I want to make sure that everyone knows this is an incredibly serious situation. I was definitely one of the guys, and I'm sure many people can relate, that was saying, maybe we're blowing this out of proportion. It's not to the level that maybe an actual influenza has been the past few years. And we know, especially in the state of Oklahoma, influenza has prominently made its force felt. But at the same time, now... You, you've read up on it. You've watched videos. You've listened to experts. This thing is very real, and it's very dangerous. And so while I'm understandably frustrated that what we know and love so much, which being the world of sports, is essentially shut down, I also completely agree with some of these moves. I mean, like college baseball, for example, and we've both talked about it, is a true passion of mine. And college baseball season is basically getting suspended as we speak in the middle of the regular season. Now, that's not something I'm particularly happy about. But at the same time, these kids are traveling all over, moving around constantly, and you just don't want to risk it. And that has to go with Major League Baseball, who's shutting things down operations-wise, the NBA, obviously, which I'm sure we'll get into. Just the list goes on and on. So how I react is understandably frustrated, but at the same time, conscious why these actions are so warranted. 100%. I would add to this, the virus itself is a big deal because we don't have a vaccine developed for it yet. And because the mortality rate, as reported, is scaring many people, and I understand why. In Italy, the mortality rate is like 6%, which is enormous when you take into account things like type A flu has a death rate of about 0.1%, right? So it's very serious on that alone. So this is not Michael Jordan in the flu game, all right? That's that's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. 
the the development of the vaccine is paramount. And until we develop the vaccine, the best thing that we could do right now is tell people that we cannot come together in large groups, large groups being thousands of people, which is why things like the Big 12 basketball tournament was suspended, canceled. It was outright canceled earlier this morning. And we're seeing a cavalcade of other sporting leagues and events just flat out being canceled. As a matter of fact, I believe right now there is not a single basketball tournament that is still going. Even in the state of Oklahoma, we just got word that the OSSAA has decided to postpone, indefinitely suspend the basketball tournament. And I know that's a big deal here locally. I know nobody wanted to actually pull the trigger on these things. But the lining here is... In China, where this thing broke out in Wuhan, they've already seen their peak and they've, they're have they beginning to see a decrease in the number of cases because they quarantined each other, they quarantined individuals, so much so that the Chinese Basketball Association is telling its American players, get your butts back over here or face lifetime banishment from, from the country. So they feel good about where they're at and that was after about a month. Right now, we're asking for about two weeks uh, is, is the number. 14 days is the number. And until those two weeks have come and gone, beginning, I believe, today as day one, we're all just kind of be sitting here really, uh, for lack of a better term, with our with our thumbs in our mouths, just kind of waiting for sports to pick back up and be able to do some of the things that we really enjoy. Now that we got that covered, Colin, you got to go to Pro Day. I'm obviously doing my radio show during the time when it's being held. What were some of your takeaways from watching Pro Day Live at Everest Training Center? Uh, well, off the top, I kind of want to start with something that may go a bit overlooked because I know everyone's going to want to talk about Jalen Hurts and the C.D. Lamb or Neville Gallimore. But I thought Marcellus Sutton, man, was outstanding. I mean, he tested better than basically any running back that showed up at the previous NFL Combine. Think about that. I mean, the guy was just incredible. He had, what, a 40-inch vertical jump. Ran really well. He just was going all out, and you love to see it. And it was resulting in very strong test numbers. The guy deserves it. He's essentially been training for the longest time. I know of a family that he has spent a large majority of time with in order to help their son. And the guy has just done a lot behind the scenes that may be overlooked, but I think that all helped factor into what he put together the other day. So I, I'm really happy to see what Sutton did. I thought other guys that obviously did well, I think Lee Morris was solid. I thought Parnell Motley was good. I mean, it was kind of the outing you expected, I think. Jalen Hurts goes out there and throws the ball pretty well. So, I mean, it was just another pro day, man. I mean, I think it was about half the scouts and media attendance, though, as opposed to last year's for understandable reasons. But at the same time, I think it was a pretty good showing. Well, 55 representatives from 30 teams is a great number for OU. As I've said this before, I believe that the winner in all of this is OU because you essentially convinced all of these people that represent NFL teams, including general manager Mike Mayock, also Kyler Murray, Orlando Brown, Marquise Brown, Cody Ford, Bobby Evans, all to come back here to watch Jalen Hurts, who is a mock draft fourth-round selection, throw a football. CeeDee Lamb, who you'd already seen, went out there, did his part. Also, Kenneth Murray Jr. just kind of standing there because he pulled his hammy at the combine. So you're watching basically a fringe first-round pick in Neville Gallimore. You're watching perhaps 
Lee Morris, perhaps Nick Basquin, who's coming off of injury, and Parnell Motley, who is just good enough for us to mention as a as a combine snub. But for the most part, this is not like a who's who of pro day events. This is certainly not Kyler Murray last year or Baker Mayfield the year before. So I think this is a really great showing for OU and what this draft class for them is, which has got a bit of star power, but there's only one can't-miss first-round pick there, and that guy can only catch so many footballs. You mentioned Marcella Sutton. I saw those numbers, and they jumped out at me at me as well. He did get some opportunities. I want to say with the Seattle Seahawks last year, coming off of breaking his leg, and then you know basically having to get back into shape. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets another shot. I actually thought that he might have an opportunity to play in the XFL, as as odd as that seems to say. But what were your impressions of how Jalen looked throwing the ball around? How C.D. Lamb looked catching the ball? Uh, obviously, C.D. Lamb is going to be C.D. Lamb. He was outstanding. I thought whenever the ball was in a reasonable vicinity, he was able to capitalize on it and catch the ball. And Jalen was good. I think that, number one, I like the fact that he scripted his passes so he knew exactly what to prepare for. Number two, I like the fact that he emphasized under center snaps, which is a big deal for him, apparently. He wanted to show people that not only could he go under center, but he could execute maybe a five-step drop, a seven-step drop under center, go through a play-action pass, bomb it deep, essentially going through things that ask you to do a little bit more from an athletic or maybe a, a stamina standpoint than what you may have to do in the shotgun snap. So going off of that purely, I think that what the plan was to be put together was executed really well. I think the deep ball kind of got away from him a couple of times. I, I think there were a lot of passes to the outside, especially towards the sidelines. I think that was a good thing to show how can you throw to the far side or the near side when you got to put it on the money. I think altogether it was well put together, a, a good execution on Hurts' part. Probably a few too many short passes in my opinion. I wanted to see a few more deep balls. It just felt like Kyler threw a lot more deep passes than Jalen did. But, I mean, maybe that's for a reason. Regardless, I'll just go back to what I said again. The plan that was put together and then how it was showcased in front of these scouts I think was well done by Mr. Hertz. And, again, I just think he's doing a great job of handling this process as we build towards the NFL draft. I think you hit on my big criticism of Jalen Hurts, which is he can't throw the ball deep. He won't throw the ball deep. And this has nothing even to do with him holding on to the ball. My criticisms are, yo, man, that deep out, he can't make it consistently enough for me. That that pass that is to to the flag that or to the post, he can't make it enough for me. Now, knowing that you watched him and knowing that he also is partial to intermediate routes and routes over the middle, do you think that there were more scripted plays for him that saw guys running those routes that might go six yards in depth, seven yards in depth, 12 yards in depth, as opposed to 25, 35, 40 yards down the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think there were a plethora of over-the-middle passes, kind of towards the boundary and the short to intermediate. I think there were a few too many maybe running back passes. I was honestly kind of surprised how many times he passed to the running backs. I just, again, I, I felt like there was more to be had in terms of the D-pass, but at the same time, touching on it, I think the concerns are valid. Like, for example, you don't even have to look at a pro day. 
one of the big throws that stood out to me, you just have to go back to the Peach Bowl, mm. when C.D. Lamb makes that incredible catch, when he's completely blanketed by one LSU DB, Jalen Hurts has to throw it, I think about 40 yards, if I remember correctly. It was hard for me to gauge how far the throw was because I was basically down on the field. But, I mean, CeeDee Lamb is making the catch solely off of his pure ability because the throw did not look good. I don't think the accuracy was all that great. But at the same time, it's a completion because he's throwing the ball deep so few at times, it's hard for defensive backs to prepare for that. And then when you're throwing it to CeeDee Lamb, I mean, chances are it's going to be a completion. So, yeah, for me, I think there are a lot of those short intermediate that they're talking about. And I just would say again, I wish he would have thrown maybe just a few more of those deep balls because it just felt like Kyler and Baker especially put a ton of emphasis on deep passes. And honestly, this may be the biggest thing that stood out to me. I vividly remember being at Baker and Kyler's Pro Day. And probably three or four times, but every everyone in attendance let out kind of that, oh, moment in the crowd. You know what I'm saying? When they, they chuck the ball deep, the ball is completed, and everyone just shows their amazement. I think that only happened one time with Jalen the other day. That, to me, should stand out, right? Yeah, well, let's talk about what was that one time then. The, the one time, if I remember correctly, was a deep ball to A.D. Miller, and I believe it was a, a deep post completed, essentially, if you want to call it a touchdown, I don't know. But at the same time, that was about it. So it was a deep ball kind of over the middle of the field, so not towards the boundary, completed for 45-plus. That was probably the one awe moment from the crowd as opposed to Baker and Kyler's three or four or five. Yeah, and that's really interesting to point out. I think for the reasons that I already believe hold true about Jalen, which is that he is what he is, and if you like what he is, fine. If you don't, I also agree with that. You picking up on him throwing to the running backs, I, I couldn't help but think, hey, I'll bet Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, and them wishes that he would have thrown them the ball a little bit more often when he was playing <laughs> OU. Because like that was also a part of his game that really vexed me. Meaning, he didn't have to run for 1,300 yards, right? He could have dumped it off to Trey Sermon or Kennedy Brooks in so many different other situations. Jeremiah Hall, for that matter. I think he only trusted CD. But it's easy to trust CD because a 50-50 ball is a 90% ball to CD Lamb. And maybe he had more of that at Alabama. But I've been doing this real this thing where I'm taking a look at what people have had to say about him. I'm taking a look at what he's been on the football field. I'm taking into account his background as a winner. And one of the things that sticks out to me when we talk about him as a quarterback is I think it actually holds true that he benefits greatly from the cast around him in a way that most coaches want to be critical of other quarterbacks. Famously, Mason Fine was in that category. Mike Gundy would say, yeah, he threw for all those yards, but when you look at who was around him, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was the guys that he was throwing to. Turned out to be a whole hell of, that, a whole hell of a lot of that being Mason Fine. With Hurts, I look at him in high school, and then I look at him when he got to Alabama. And the thing was, he got pulled in the second half of the 2017 National Championship game precisely because he could not get the ball to the playmakers. Saban said that on tape. He said, look, we had always thought 
that if Jalen can't get the ball to our playmakers, we need to get somebody in that position that can because that's what you are as the quarterback. You are a distributor. Your job is to get the ball to the men who are skilled with the ball in their hands. OU has C.D. Lamb, but it also had Charleston Rambo, and it also had Drake Stoops, and it also had Nick Basquin and Jeremiah Hall and this bevy of running backs, and we can continue to go on about what he had around him, but knowing what Baker Mayfield looked like throwing to basically the same kind of talent, Kyler Murray also throwing to the same kind of talent, and one of the things that I always argued with about him versus, say, Justin Fields, they're both Heisman finalists, and, of course, Hurts finishes as the runner-up. Fields felt like that kind of guy. He felt like a compliment to the offense in that, is it him or is it the team? And then you got to see that it was him in the Michigan game where he goes out with a knee injury. They don't look so great. He comes back in with a knee brace and throws a dart over the middle on the run going to his left to a true freshman in the back of the end zone that, okay, I said, that's a quarterback. That's what that looks like. Now, Jalen seemed to have those moments, but he also had days where Texas Christian happened, where he passes for fewer yards in a game than Trevor Knight did in the sweatpants bowl, 40-6, to where he passes for like 106 yards. Jalen passed for like 103, and he didn't look great. And every time something broke down, he wanted to take off running with the ball. And that was the part of his game where I was like, oh, look, dude, Grow up a little bit. Throw the ball. Stop letting it go uh, or, or let it go. All of those things are, are still on the table, but I just, I also wanted to ask, how did he sound in the scrum? Did he sound disinterested? Did he sound like he did not want to be there? Did he sound like he was having fun? Well, Jalen has always been very transparent, I'll put it that way, about maybe his dislike of the media, I mean, he essentially walked in and immediately goes, one more time, huh? Oh, my God. And then immediately goes, uh, well, I could have done some things better. I, I don't know what you guys think. I don't really care what you guys have to think. And I was like, is this really how you want to walk out the door? I mean, I, here's my big problem. I'm not a big fan of guys that just immediately create it, especially in the media, because people forget that the media is the connection between what you have to say in the masses, right? You are communicating a message to the public through what we have to offer. There are not as many uh, quote-unquote agendas as some of these guys believe, but to Jalen Hurts, apparently everyone in Norman, Oklahoma that covers OU football and above is essentially evil. Now, that was communicated pretty efficiently, in my opinion, in that final post-presser. I mean, he was just out there saying, look, I – I did okay. I don't really care what you guys have to think. I really just am happy that I finally get to go work out for teams one-on-one so I don't have to do this in front of everybody. And I was like, well, I mean, I get it. But at the same time, I just, like you should understand, a lot of people are kind of giving you some positive publicity. I don't know if these are the right words to be saying. That was kind of the vibe I got from him. He just wasn't really pleased to be talking with us again. And it seemed like he was pretty ecstatic that he finally got to get out of it. I mean, walks away and just closed the presser on his own, which is another thing I really thought was very interesting. He essentially said, are we good? And then walked away. So So, uh, it's it's a weird end to the Jalen Hurts era, if I can say so. All right. I got to walk this out on on the pod because uh, I did some reporting, especially after this happened. So Doug Gottlieb did uh, Colin Cowherd's show and – I watch the show, right? Like, I I watch a lot of things, but I watch the show. 
And he gave this take on Hertz that was, hey, look, uh, it's overblown about him being a leader. He's a media darling, but my sources tell me that he's an about me guy. To which I immediately went, wait a second, what? You're, you're calling the, the, the dude that backed up Tua Tagovailoa for an entire season without taking a red shirt a, a about me guy, the guy that came off the bench in the SEC championship game to win you the game, the guy who got them to the 2017 national championship so that Tua could win them the game. You, that that guy, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm reaching out to some folks on this. And by the way, Doug Gottlieb comes back over the top of me later on. To which I'm going, why, why does, why does Doug Gottlieb care about what I think about his take? Anyway, the point being that sense that you got in how he is leaving Oklahoma is the sense that I got from folks that I reached out to to ask, if anything, do you is this categorically something you could say? hasn't happened they say no there were moments where he just did not seem to be fully checked in to what he was doing not to say that he wasn't an ultimate teammate because the the other part about this is how do you get voted captain if people don't like you you know that's Mm -hmm. that's really difficult for me to measure out so I'm I'm with you I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and then you tell me these stories like or that story not these stories but that story about him being what you politely refer to as transparent I would pro- I would impolitely refer to it as being mean and argumentative, to which I continue. I, I'm with you, and obviously we work in media, and we like telling stories, and we like being able to talk well about these guys. But how you treat us is also indicative of how you go through life. Like one of the things that is cool is when I walk outside, sometimes people recognize me, you know, and sometimes I'm uh I I'm caught off guard by it, but I always try to give people my time. Because that's, you know, that's never going to be a small thing to me. And while Jalen seems to do that with kids, it's how you treat people that you have no reason to treat well that shows your character. And by all, you know, for all intents and purposes, he doesn't have to treat the media well and chooses not to. To which I'm going, yo, man, hey, look, uh, we're people. We're working. You, you don't actually have to like the questions, and you can say that. Like, one of the things I appreciate about Riley, about, about Lincoln Riley, is he'll acknowledge something like, I get why you have to ask the question, which is brilliant right. to me. Because that's him saying, hey, I understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this question because you asked me this question, and I get why you're asking. There was the moment during the early signing period where he gets repeatedly asked about the kids that are suspended. He's like, I'm not talking about it anymore. You're the head coach, doc. If <laughs> What whatever you're not gonna hurt our feelings by saying it. You're just gonna make it sound like you don't actually have a good thing to say. To which I also would appreciate that. Look, I can't comment on it. Is also just saying I can't comment on it. You can continue to say mm-hmm. I can't comment on it, and you can say it politely, right? Uh, and that's basically what he was doing. Like for instance, uh, during his spring presser, he was asked about the coaching stations. He's like, I don't really want to talk about what we do, but I'll say this: you can. That people are gonna let you slide on your strategy, even as you want to hold things close to the vest. But like yesterday, where everybody saw what you did, and you saw what you did, you could turn that and flip it. You could say, Hey, I'm blessed to be in this position. I don't think I left my best performance out there, but I came out here to work to show what kind of character I have, to show what kind of person I am, and I hope that that came through. Would that not have worked? Like I just Sometimes I'm like, they get media training, don't they? They just don't always want to use it. And the, the, 
one thing, the last thing I will say, because I know I'm on a, on a soapbox about this, but I, we watched him be charismatic with Steve Mariucci. We watched it for three minutes. We're going, where the hell was that guy? Where's the yeah. guy that was geeking with Steve Mariucci about Steve Young? That's your guy, right? You know, uh, or talking about Jerry Rice saying, yeah, I played with a, a couple guys like that. He's like, almost like that. And I'm going, yes. What? Where? Where's that guy? I love that guy. Make more oh, of him, yeah. please. Right. And then, he, you know, you go to interview him and he he turns into mush. And I'm going, anyway, I, it, it pisses me off just because I know it's in him. It's not that he's shy. It's just that he's being mean. And I don't get why you would want to be mean. Thank you for letting me yeah, vent, I mean, Colin. <laughs> oh, no. That was beautifully put. And and to kind of go off of that, I just feel like I feel like he has to eventually come to grasp with the idea that not everyone is out to get him. Because I don't know if that's kind of what he thought was taking place. Maybe he came into the thinking, these guys are just going to be strictly comparing me to the dudes that they dealt with beforehand. And honestly, I'm not going to have that great of a chance to match up with them, whether it be style of play or, or charisma, what have you. I don't know. But at the same time, he's also going to have to quickly come to grasp the idea that, kind of like we're saying, the media is here to tell a story. Like, for me personally, I got into this business to help the other people around me. Because giving a voice to the voice list, as one of my OU professors used to say, it's something that's very important to not only me, but to a lot of us. And at the same time, I don't think that a lot of people understand that, hey, we're just trying to give you a platform for you to essentially provide who you are as a person. That's what you saw in that Steve Mariucci interview, right? I mean, you saw the true colors of Jalen Hurts, and it was electric. I loved watching that. At the same time, for him to be sitting out here and saying, I don't really care about what you guys have to say, or are we done, or no, I'm not going to tell you anything about that. I mean, I just I just think that he has to start really evaluating how he's going to approach not only his play on the field, but at the same time, how he approaches local media. Because, for example, the team that he was meeting with, apparently, before he came and spoke with the local media, was the New York Giants. I'm going to tell you right now, Norman slash OKC slash Tulsa media outlets are far more forgiving <laughs> than New York media outlets. Let's make that very clear for anyone listening, athlete or individual that partakes in media consumption. This guy's in for a world of hurt if he keeps up this kind of, I don't know how I want to put this, maybe a pattern of approach because I don't think the national media or local media in a larger market is going to be giving him kind of the benefit of a doubt that a lot of people around here gave him. Because to be quite honest, I would, I don't think it's too off base to say that a lot of people in this media market wanted to see him succeed. Right. I think kind of on the down low, a lot of people were basically pulling for Jalen hurts because of the incredible story that it would become and for what it would mean the rest of the way. That's not going to happen. I, I, I'm just here to tell you. That's not going to happen whenever he goes to a National Football League team. Like, the local media does not care who you are or where you've been. It's how many completions did you have in the game? Did you throw this many turnovers? And did you win or lose the game? 
I, I'm pretty concerned in that aspect of things, but at the same time, it's kind of out of our control at this point. He's the guy that walked off the stage and said, are we done? He's now the guy that has to face whatever may be in the next chapter. So look, I think you did a well, well summation of essentially saying, look, this guy is everything that you look for as a football player and a person. He just has to carry that in all aspects of life. I very much hope that that is the case once he reaches the league. And I'm very, very convinced that if that does take place, that will not only help him as a media personality or someone to be covered, but it will also help him once he tries to assume his dream of being an NFL quarterback. So, hey, again, it was a weird end to the Jalen Hurts era at the University of Oklahoma, but at the same time, there's a lot that still has yet to be unfolded, and I can't wait to see what happens. And I hope that some things change as that takes place. So moving from Hertz to Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler, I'm thinking about what effect his season at OU might have had on either one of those, knowing that Tanner Mordecai got to be the understudy for Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall for that matter, but also for Jalen Hurts. We've all spoken about in so many different ways how we expect Spencer Rattler to be named the starting quarterback. When that happens, I'm going to bet in you know the end of the 14th or 15th practice of preseason as opposed to during the spring. One, because I'm not going to have any spring ball to talk about, or so it seems. Or if we do, we're not going to have it to talk about until uh, around the NFL draft, which, by the way, I'm okay with. I, I, I continue to say I want us all to be safe, and I want this number – to do what it's going to do and everybody feel good about going outside before we can do this again because I think we can all agree we'd rather that here in the state of Oklahoma and for folks that root for college football teams that this happened in March and not in October. Just going to preach. Okay, just pointing that out there. I mean, I, I, I get that there are college basketball fans that are just depressed as all hell and there are many of us that are too because we look forward to March Madness as a seasonal event. But... Now that we know that perhaps the kiddos are going to have a little bit more extra time, what, if anything, do you think Tanner Mordecai can do to try to make sure that he's in a position to compete for this starting job in earnest when they come back and begin practice again in earnest? Well, the biggest thing for me, for Tanner Mordecai, I thought it was really interesting a year ago when essentially reports were surfaced that revealed that it was Tanner Mordecai who really helped Jalen Hurts master the playbook of Lincoln Riley. So in my opinion, that may be an advantage because as Riley kind of mentioned, it's Mordecai that has really been in the system entrenched himself in the playbook and has maybe provided himself an advantage in terms of overall experience, not on the field. You mean like Austin Kendall? In the system. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just, hey, I, I got to put it. I got to put it in there. May backtrack real quick. Okay. 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 I, I had to. I had to say it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break your train of thought. That was perfect. Okay. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, That's definitely going to warrant a few laughs. But at the same time, I, I feel like maybe it's a bleak chance. But maybe there's more of a chance that Mordecai has than Austin Kendall at this stage because. I mean, I don't think we ever really considered Austin Kendall to be a guy that was going to assume the starting role. I mean, the guy was essentially a placeholder between the Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray era, and he was just there in case something 
depth-wise occurred. I think that's kind of the same case for Tanner Mordecai, but at the same time, he's dealing with a redshirt freshman as opposed to a high-profile transfer or two. So, in my opinion, the biggest thing that Mordecai has to go work on is his natural ability, the fundamentals of it all. How is he going to become that more athletic and impactful quarterback? Because that's what Spencer Rattler brings to the table. It's a live-action arm. It's the viral videos on the Internet. It's, it's everything that we saw, whether it be on the field in high school or in the documentaries on Netflix. How does Mordecai match that talent? It's going to be incredibly difficult to do. But at the same time, there are no shortage of quarterback gurus and individual trainers that can help you improve your game. So for me, in the event that, let's say, there's a spring ball shutdown for a while, and Tanner Mordegai gets to go home and work individually on his skills. That's the biggest thing he has to figure out, and it's not easy to figure out, is how does he become a more versatile, athletic, and impactful quarterback at the position that can execute Riley's offense to the level of Spencer Rattler and above? It's not an easy task, but it's something he must do here in a few days. No, I like that. I would also add... Tanner Mordecai can win the job just not by not screwing up, especially if Spencer Rattler throws more picks than anybody likes seeing. If he just can, as they say on the defensive side of the ball, have no bust, just become a, a fundamentally sound quarterback, that would be the way to beat out Rattler. But even then, you're going to have public opinion, myself and others, going, Rattler's the more talented guy. Maybe you just want to get him in the system right away and risk it because his upside, his ceiling is much higher than Tanner Mordecai's. But no, I agree with your assessment. Uh, if he can get technically better and technically more sound, he's going to be awesome. Colin, you're awesome. Uh, Colin Kennedy, follow him on Twitter, ckennedy247, ckennedy247. Read his work on ounsider.com, where my work is as well. We'll have more to talk about than the coronavirus, we promise. But until then, Colin, uh, we'll talk to you next week, man. All right, man. Appreciate you as always. Always fun. Yeah, brother.